Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We can't be in the same room, but a podcast can't be stopped. The cinemas are empty, the industry is fucked, but we won't run off. We're not going out, we're staying at home And when we watch films, we watch them along We sit in our pants, stick on something crap And then we hit Skype for a little chat Little chat, little chat, little chat, little chat Hey, hey man It's another film chat lockdown episode We're still locked down We're still, we're still watching, we're still, we're still chatting How's it going Danny? It's, it's okay, you know, it's, it's boring now isn't it? If you don't actually have any sort of like if you're not working on the front lines or have like an important job or like a family member's ill, if you're just like this sort of, you know, this privileged idiot who just, you know, like myself, it's just boring for me now. It's just... Then the, uh, the the novelty value of the global pandemic has worn off. It's lost its, it's lost its allure. I know, just reading Twitter too much, deciding, you know, which of the Harry Potter casts are cool, which one are just fucking terse these days. You know, it's, that's my main main thing I do. They they seem to be haven't they mostly come out against uh, J.K. The kids are all right, yeah. Even uh, Eddie Redmayne, the, the fucking Danish girl himself, was like, "Yeah, Trent's like, really?" <laughs> Did someone ask Eddie Redmayne because he because he was in the Danish girl? I don't know if just like they're all yeah. I don't know how were they were they were they, were they like were they pressuring him to be like. Um, did you did you star in a film about a mentally ill man who uh, uh, t- tried to uh, pretend to be a woman out of some dis- disgusting obscene fetish? That that misogynist film. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually seen the Danish Girl. I imagine it's not the most progressive depiction of um, trans rights issues, anyway. From the director of Cats. From Tom Hooper, the director of Cats, the genius. I'm sure if anyone could handle that topic, he could. Yeah, yeah. The maestro. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously, we got away on this issue. Film chat gives the big thumbs down to J.K. Rowling on this. The one like good thing that's come out of it, I hope, is that uh, you know, <laughs> from my perspective, speaking as someone who's not in the trans community and like won't feel the brunt of like increased misogyny or whatever, it's just like I hope it just like dials down people using Harry Potter to compare everything. <laughs> like you see, the sort of the um. The Gen Zs like taking the piss out of millennials. It was so funny. It was so important. Like, oh, they're all like, oh, oh I did, yeah, yeah, I did see letter? that. Oh, such a Hufflepuff thing to do. And I'm like, you know what? I have a great faith in the generation below me. They absolutely, absolute contempt for Harry Potter and people who use it as just their go-to reference. Everything. Oh, such a Slytherin move. Uh, Cancelling Universal Credit. Uh. 
I do, I do wonder though, like, what is the, what is the universal cultural product for Gen Z? What is, what is their like shared, um, uh, cultural reference? Like this, this sort of universal language. Are they just conversant in, uh, well-known TikToks? Maybe. Or like. Rick and Morty? You know what I mean? Like Rick and Morty. (laughs) I don't, it's sure, that's not on the, surely not, like, it's not on the level of like The Simpsons or Harry Potter or something in terms of like this, this completely universal cultural thing. Maybe Marvel films? I, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? God, I'm too old. I don't know any. I don't know anything. I don't know. I don't know what they're watching. What are their what what is their YA? What are the YAs reading? Maybe it'll be Tenet. Maybe that'll be the thing that defines their generation. You know like it's gonna yeah. sa- it's gonna save cinema. It has to Tenet. like gross like nine billion or otherwise all the cinemas are gonna close down. I'm sort of enjoying it. This... It's gonna turn back time to when uh, cinemas were profitable. Yeah, I do like just because the the Nolan Bros like worship at the altar of Christopher Nolan, and he has got this sort of like Isambard Kingdom Brunel like industrialist thing, like he builds sets and he creates worlds and stuff. And now it has fallen on him to rescue the entire cinema uh, cinema la- uh, la- cinema landscape. That's how he probably pronounce it. He's so posh. <laughs> that's how that's how he'd say it. Yeah, that's that is exactly how Christopher Nolan would say landscape. Yeah, because it's like the first blockbusters that might come out after the quarantine has been lifted. And, you know, it's got to gross a lot of money. People have got to go into those cramped cinemas and sit next to each other and, you know, accidentally brush shoulders and cough on each other. And uh, But it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be worth it, I think. This is just making me think of uh, Christopher Nolan pitching Tenet to film producers like Daniel Plainview, <laughs> talk, talking, to the, talking to the townsfolk and pro- promising them that he can turn a billion profit in 10 days or whatever. Yeah. This is my son and heir. H.W. Nolan. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, Danny, what have you been occupying yourself with when when you've when you haven't been um, checking Twitter and all the latest uh, scandals and goss? Um, what you, what have you been watching? Well, I have watched one of uh, the latest in a sort of well, dumped is a bit pejorative, but like VOD releases, which is The King of Staten Island, the latest Judd Apatow film, which is another. I guess it's one of the casualties of quarantine because it's definitely going to get a cinema release, but they've just put it online. Uh, stars Pete Davidson, who is the guy from SNL. I feel like he's much, he's so he's like a Gen Z guy. I don't know why he's famous and he's like, he's sort of bigger. I don't know what he does. Like he's just on SNL and it, the movie is like a sort of loosely autobiographical tale because Pete Davidson's dad died in 9-11, was a firefighter. And in the fictionalized version, he, his dad also died, but in a less famous uh, fire. There'll be a bit, but maybe the movie, Judd Apatow has not yet to make his 9-11 film. Um, and he's sort of like a sort of listless 24-year-old guy, smokes too much weed, uh, has, it's kind of references that he has ADHD and like doesn't apply himself, wants to be a tattoo artist, but he's very listless and he still lives at home uh, with his mum played by Marissa Tomei. His sort of overachieving uh, younger sister played by Maud Apatow. The little girl from Knocked Up, Judd Apatow's daughter. She's now grown. It's a bit weird because I don't think I've seen her in a movie since like Funny People, and now she's like a fully grown person. I was like, oh god, I'm old as well. Like, oh my god, the kid- remember that? I saw that meme. You know that kid from Knocked Up? This is what she looks like now. Um, and uh, the basic hook is that Marisa Tomei starts dating a firefighter played by Bill Burr, and it's a kind of like coming of age. It's a very Apatow movie. Sort of man child learns to be less of a man child. Yeah, hello. My name's Raymond Bishop. This is my son, Harold. Say hello, Harold. I'm sorry. 
What's going on? Well, it seems your son was down in the woods giving out free tattoos, and my son was one of his victims. What? Well, I, I don't understand. How do you know it was my son? How'd you get this address? I have my ways. Believe me, I have my ways. Are you a cop? No, I'm a fireman, okay? I work for a living. Look at this. Do you believe this? You see that there? See that line? I don't know if you burn these off or what, but we're taking care of this, and you're paying for it. You understand me? I don't know what Scott! this is. Oh, I am I'm so sorry. I, I, I... There's an aesthetic laser at the hospital where I work, and it can completely remove it. I, I get a discount. I'm, I'm gonna pay for the whole thing. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm, I feel terrible. You should feel terrible. Look at that. What's that? Oh, oh there he is. Get your ass out here. Hey, he said he was 18. He looks like he's four, you moron. It's just so long. It's a classic Judd Apatow thing of, like, he has shot 4,000 alt lines for every scene. Everything has been loosely scripted. And it clocks in at like two hours twenty, which is uh, which is far far too long. I feel like that's brutal. It's brutal. I do like. I think I like him more than the general critical reaction to Jav Abatel. I always think his movies are very kind of sincere. There's no like snark to them, and it's not like he's churning them out. He's definitely sort of like reaching for something, but there's also this kind of small c conservatism to it, where it's like. Like I said, like the the useless layabout man will find the stability of like marriage or family somehow. I don't quite get Pete Davidson's thing. I don't think he's like the next comedy star or whatever. I'm not sure why Judd Apatow has like selected him exactly. He's like kind of funny, but not especially. And I feel the movie kind of like just struggles to sort of. Um, it kind of like it's so long because it's so aimless. There's not really like a strong enough hook to like power the movie along. So it's almost like it's just the length is just like this endless search to like, is this worth making to a film? Well, I've shot nine hours now, so it is. Um, the cast are quite charming. Belle Powley is his girlfriend. She's like the highlight, doing a very sort of New Jersey accent, which is like borderline parody, but it's quite funny. And he does have like a gift for just getting like charismatic performers to sort of, they just convince as people talking. And there's like a couple of really funny jokes at the end. They just felt like very kind of, like it's just not as funny as his other movies. And like sort of not trying to be. It's almost like in the effort to like reach drama, he's like thrown away a few of the jokes, but he hasn't quite reached the drama. So it's a bit kind of stuck between two approaches. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely feels characteristic of his pro- approach in general. It always feels like his movies are almost like, He's made a whole, built a whole film around one of his friends and he's kind of putting them through therapy or something. Yeah. You know, with, with similar sets of kinds of problems. But like, but over time it's been getting less like mainstream comedy with this kind of sentimental element um, tacked onto it and just uh, foregrounding the, the, the sentiment and dialing back on the, you know, knock about mainstream quality. Although I didn't, I didn't see Trainwreck. I mean, that seemed... The similar kinds of elements are present, but it just it did seem like a more kind of mainstreamy, or or maybe mainstream is the wrong term, but yeah, broad comedy I guess set up in the in the vein of Knocked Up, whereas like stuff like Funny People and This Is Forty, um, more like dramedies. Yeah, it is like watching Pete Davidson's Therapy or something. There's a whole section where he goes hangs out with like the firefighters, and then it becomes like a sort of tribute to like the the firefighter service. It's like these are great guys. It's the like, first responders. Yeah. It's like, you know, luckily his dad wasn't a cop, so <laughs> everyone's like firefighters is like the, you know, every, that's their sound as people probably. They're a bit, they're kind of douchey bros, but they're like, they're good and they don't kill black people or whatever. So they're like, in terms of public services, like that, they're, they're, they're fine. Uh, 
But yeah, like, there's also, I think the problem with it is, like, Pete Davidson and his, like, friends of a similar age, who I think are just, like, other comedians, just aren't as funny as, like, the sort of Seth Rogen crowd. Like, all the knocked-up guys who are just basically playing themselves are, like, really, really funny. But Pete Davidson, these Gen Z comedians, oh, God, they're all, like, messed up and tattooed and, like, it's all a bit cynical and it's just, like, it's just not funny, you know? When Jonah Hill is, like, complaining that, like, Jay Barishal, like, shaved his balls and, like, he took a shit like a stuffed animal, you know, that's funny. That's classic. That's that's classic humor. That's classic humor. That's humor of our generation. Exactly. Timeless. Timeless. Yeah. Peerless. Astonishing <laughs> stuff. Whereas Pete Davis's stuff is like all a bit depressing about getting high, and it's just like you guys are just are fucking losers. But I don't know. I think like it struggled to place its tone a little bit. When you watch Not Type, you're like, ah, oh, these endearing losers. And when you watch King of Staten Island, you're like, these guys are losers. Fucking hell. These guys are fucking losers. Jesus. Jesus, sort yourselves out. Yeah, so just a bit meh, really. Man, my balls are shaved, my pubes are trimmed, I'm ready to fucking rock this shit. What the fuck, man? If I go in there and see fucking pubes sprinkled on the toilet seat, I'm gonna fucking lose my mind. Last time I went to the bathroom, Jay, I took a shit and my shit looked like a fucking stuffed animal. You're embarrassing me in company. You embarrass yourself. So, uh, should I, do you want to hear about a film I, I watched? Uh, no, I'm, I'm off now. Chat of, <laughs> so, yeah. chat about a film? Yeah, do you so see So I just watched, films? uh, yeah, uh, watched a couple of movies. One film that I caught up on, we have talked about it on the podcast before, you reviewed it back when it came out, I believe. Alex Garland's Ex Machina, or Ex Machina. Is there, is there a, um, a canon pronunciation for this title? I say Ex David. Machina because Deus Ex Machina. It's the more sort of Latin type yeah. pronunciation. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to go back and revisit this one is like, we talk sometimes about films that have like their moment and everyone's talking about them and then they just fade from the cultural memory very, very quickly. I feel like this movie is not like that. It seems this is, to me at least, this has had some sort of staying power. Like it's still a movie that comes up, at, you know, every now sure. and again. And uh, some people talk about it as, as being really excellent. Like, it was on a few, like, t- a top 10 decade lists, I think, right when people were talking, you know, the end of 2019. Um, so I was kind of curious, especially, I'm not, like, you know, a huge Alex Garland fan, I think. I didn't think, like, Annihilation was that amazing. And, uh, I mean, we've talked about his, like, flaws before, but um, basically that he, it's a little superficial, you know, heavy on themes, but a bit light on like actual, I don't know, weight. Yeah. And uh, so I was interested to go back to go back on your visitor. Uh, I kind of enjoyed it, I have to say. Maybe I should give a quick um, rundown of the, of the plot for anyone who doesn't know. So this is essentially a three-hander. Almost all takes place entirely within uh, one building. Oscar Isaac is this guy called Nathan, who's the CEO of a Google-type company called Blue Book, who brings to his um, strange compound research facility, Donald Gleason, who plays a character called Caleb, um, who is there to perform a Turing test with a female robot played by Alicia Vikander called Ava and decide whether she is has real uh, intelligence or like has real consciousness and is alive or is simply simulating it. Um, and that's basically the setup of the movie. Lots of scenes of uh, him, him, them talking to the robot and discussing the nature of intelligence and man and, you know, technology and consciousness and stuff. So, do you know what the Turing test is? Yeah. 
I know what the Turing test is. It's when a human interacts with a computer. And if the human doesn't know they're interacting with a computer, the test is passed. And what does a pass tell us? That the computer has artificial intelligence. Are you building an AI? I've already built one. And over the next few days, you're going to be the human component in the Turing test. Holy shit. Yeah, that's right, Caleb. You got it. Because if that test is passed, you are dead center of the greatest scientific event in the history of man. If you've created a conscious machine, it's not the history of man. That's the history of gods. Yeah, I think I think it was it was pretty good. It's probably one of his better efforts. I think there's something it's quite elegant, um, and there is something pleasing about the 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 straightforwardness of the setup and the sort of basic building blocks. And I like that it leans a little into, and it probably could have gone further into even maybe uh, the horror genre because the the setup seems so um, uh, ideal for that. And there's something pleasing just about the. Um, uh, as with a lot of like chamber piece drama type things, these constant little shifts in power dynamics, who's on top, who's smarter than who, what's really going on in each scene. And there is enjoyment to be had throughout the movie by um, trying to work out who's manipulating who and uh, and what's happening. It has extremely well done special effects, which I um, think are just really, really elegantly done and uh, work brilliantly. It's good robo, good robo effects, and quite good, original. Good as robo well. effects. Good robo effects. It's also like not too heavy-handed, I would say, on on meditations on the meaning of life. There is a little bit of uh, copy paste from a wide article I read about advances in AI, but I think that's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, that, that's fine. Uh, that's fine. I don't mind that. And the thing that the thing that I did that I did like about it like about the whole sort of concept and setup of it. I, I enjoyed the general portrayal of um, of this Google style company and like tech bro culture, you know, and like, and also the sociopathic uh, quality of uh, billionaires. He is a kind of like Mozartian individual genius, which I think is probably not quite true to um, to what the Silicon Valley uh, giants are are actually like. I think they're basically businessmen. They're probably more like the sort of like Steve Jobs style, I play the orchestra wankers, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. rather than like individual genius um, uh, programmers. Uh, but as people who generally seem um, massively narcissistic, total disregard for human life, uh, uh, like dramatically exploitative, and but with this kind of um anti-corporate aesthetic like hey i don't wear suits man i just uh i'm just in my gym shorts and i crack open a beer and i'm totally normal um while also uh, having all of the kind of uh like swagger and ego of um any other corporate exec um i thought that was like quite a quite a good angle on the on the whole thing and just sort of made sense and made it work um uh, oscar isaac is really really good in it as well which i'm but you know people said at the time and I can confirm it's true. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't. I I thought it was. I thought it was perfectly okay. What do you? What do you? You know, I know you've reviewed it before, but revisiting it. Uh, I just like I don't know. It's the, the Alex Garland thing of you know. I have a subscription to New Scientist, and I feel like he's always kind of showing his workings out a little bit. And especially this one's like 
because they're debating like the Turing test or whatever. It's a bit like this is the plot and this is the themes. In case you haven't picked up what this film's about, there are long dialogue scenes that articulate that. But yeah, I remember like just sort of thought it got past on the strength of like Oscar Isaacs and he's the least Alex Garland like character in a way, in that he's so kind of like fully realized. Whereas the Don't All Gleason, if you ever watched Devs, like they basically all sound the same. They're all kind of talking a bit obliquely and he's better off of robots and drunks. And humanity is not something he's... A bit like Christopher Nolan or something, you know? Seemingly cerebral filmmakers who are just kind of bad bad at human stuff. And he makes films about, like, humanity grappling with, like, a new, like, thing. But he's got his handle on the new thing, but not the human part. So, I don't know. I think that's definitely... I think that is definitely true. And it, and it's it does a lot for Ex Machina that um, uh, Oscar Isaac is, is a great performer and also... I think like is quite a good character but there are only three so the <laughs> fact that there is like one good character kind of actually counts for a lot because that's a full third of the cast <laughs> of the movie yeah well i mean like annihilation is this kind of like uh trippy um psychedelic like messy thing which has also got the these moments of the sort of reaching towards like like transcendence in a way and uh and i just wasn't buying it you know yeah it didn't feel like it knew what it was saying or doing um and i think that one thing that ex machina has going for it is basically that what it's grappling with is much more straightforward and is also like pretty heavily traveled territory in sort of like genre terms it's basically frankenstein story like yeah this is just frankenstein <laughs> so um uh so there's less like work to do to match the um that those sort of like pulpy elements to your ideas because you know this is a pretty familiar kind of both in like sci-fi and in like gothic stories like this is a classic you know yeah are robots people are they not people you know what 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 makes what makes you human like we've we've had these kinds of stories like a billion times um so uh, uh so, which you know in a way is a strength because it's just solid you know solid <laughs> and familiar Solid. What more can you want for from a movie? It's just a, it's just a solid, a solid film. So, so, solidly made. Yeah. I would, I would, I, I, you know, when you rap on it, you get a, you get a dull thud sound. It's a solid. It's built all the way through. It's fine. You know this guy, right? Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock. That's right. The drip painter. Okay. He let his mind go blank and his hand go where it wanted. Not deliberate, not random, someplace in between. They called it automatic art. Let's make this like Star Trek, okay? Engage intellect. Excuse me. I'm Kirk, you're- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Heads the warp drive. Engage intellect. What if Pollock had reversed the challenge. What if instead of making art without thinking, he said, you know what? I can't paint anything unless I know exactly why I'm doing it. What would have happened?
a single mark. Yes, you see, there's my guy, there's my buddy who thinks before he opens his mouth. He never would have made a single mark. Do you see any other deep movies? I watched Clueless. It's a pretty deep film. Yeah. I've not seen um, it, you know. Sure. You've not seen it? I've not seen it. Because this, this is one of those movies where I tell people that I've not seen it, and they're like, you've not seen it? Yeah, yeah. I've had this... But now you're telling me that, and I get to react that way because I've seen it now. Yeah, and then I downloaded it to watch, and now it's, it's been sitting on my hard drive for, like, fucking eons, and uh, still not seen it. <laughs> I, got bit, I got a bit closer to watching <laughs> True it. Story. <laughs> True story. True story, man. Well, it's on it's on Netflix, so you don't even need to download it. You can delete that shit from your hard drive. I, I downloaded, uh, it, I downloaded it legally, legally from, from iTunes. <laughs> it's a legal, legal download. Yeah, I'm afraid if you if you if you state that you've parasite anything on this podcast, uh, I'll be sending the audio of it to the police, and you'll be arrested. Sure. You don't want to admit to crimes on here because you'll be arrested. Uh, um, I killed my twin. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, clear this. It's a classic. You've probably seen it, and it's only the chumps hosting this film podcast um, who uh, who who hadn't until recently. Uh, Nineteen ninety-five uh, coming-of-age teen comedy film, written and directed by Amy Heckling, um, stars Alicia Silverstone. It's one of those movies where you, everyone who crops up is famous. You're like, oh, it's you. You're in this as well. Um, kind of a breakout role for Paul Rudd, looking. Uh, young but also the same age as he does now because he still looks really young um and uh uh alicia silverstone plays a um extremely uh, rich girl basically in like beverly hills in la um kind of uh you know, she, she loves to shop and like dress well or whatever um and uh it's oh it's an adaptation of emma jane austen's emma I guess I should make that clear. A book that I haven't read, and also I've never seen an adaptation of it. So this is more ignorance for me. I don't know exactly what the plot of Emma is or how it relates to Clueless. Is, are, there, are there makeovers in Emma? No, no. Well, I've only seen the recent Anya Taylor-Joy version, which I kind of saw as like a sort of poor man's pride and prejudice. It's like there's a sort of Bingley-esque character and there's like a sort of pervy priest character and she's... You know, she's a bit... I think the arc is like, she's a bit above it, and like, but she treats people badly and doesn't realise and then makes amends. Is that, does that track on the Clueless? Yes, broad, broadly speaking, it does It does track to Clueless, yeah. Um, she's like the kind of um, uh, hot girl in the school, like the hot popular girl. Uh, and there's this new girl who arrives in the class um, called Ty Fraser, who's um, played by um, uh, Brittany Murphy. And... Um, uh, she is lower class, you know, uh, not as uh, not as fancy and rich, and um, uh, she gets treated to a makeover by Alicia Silverstone, who turns her into like one of the more popular kids. But overall, like that general setup didn't really dominate too much of the plot of the film. It's it is more of a kind of hangout movie, I think. Um, they meander through their their lives. There's some like romance like in there. They fancy boys, and like boys turn like arrive and then depart and uh it's sort of kind of loose um but i can completely understand why it's you know well regarded and generally liked incredibly snappy script uh, full of lines which i feel are quotable like people kept saying things that i was like there are definitely people who have this like tattooed on themselves or you know uh who say this to each other all the time or whatever like i you know i'm sure this is embedded in in many people's consciousness um 
it zips along at a at like a really fast pace and it's got this like um uh, really wacky approach to fashion i know this is like another thing that the movie is known for like uh like people have parties where they dress as a character to include this or whatever um i don't personally i don't know exactly what the deal is with this i don't know if it's like this is just 90s high fashion or if they decided when they were making the movie like we're just going to go all out every character is going to be dressed to the nines because it's like a thing that Alyssa silverstone's character um is like a snappy dresser uh and also like her her friend is as well um but then just almost every character seems to uh be wearing garish and bizarre outfits just throughout the film and i was fully in favor of it just made it exciting to watch every scene i was like what is someone gonna turn up looking like now like there's a love interest who appears about halfway through the movie who for some reason just dresses like um uh like you should be in the rat pack um as observed by um uh this is sort of saying his dad at one point or like you know he looks like james dean or something for no reason he's just from the 50s that's just how he dresses like he wears these high-waisted pants and he tucks his t-shirt into them and she's like he's the best dressed kid in school <laughs> uh very strange um but yeah it's very charming um i kind of wish that i'd seen this movie before i watched and reviewed book smart because on reflection book smart was heavily influenced by clueless um very similar i would say I think like the key the key thing carried over between them and one of the things that makes this so likable is it's um it's got an extremely good-natured quality and like as I as I said when I was reviewing Booksmart um teen movies can also be can or can often be a bit um judgmental and like petty and be about like you know the different categories of of clique that different people fall into which is quite sort of deterministic um, and even when they're like seem critical of it, I think that they can often, you know, reinforce those things anyway. And one of the things I liked about Booksmart is that it had this really positive view of people where, you know, they would be mean to you, but it didn't mean they were like the bully character who was just a dick and deserves to be, you know, um, uh, gunked or you know yeah, yeah. thrown into a river or whatever. Um, but it was just like kids can be mean, but also kids are sometimes nice, which I think is more true to life, you know. That like people are not emotionally intelligent when they're when they're young, and then often like people who are otherwise nice will will be incredibly mean to sometimes, and then people who are incredibly mean will also you know can also be nice or they will grow up or whatever. Um, and uh, this film definitely took that attitude where it didn't really have any villains. Uh, it was just people swaying between being mean to each other and being nice to each other, but ultimately everyone is kind of a good guy. Um, and uh, I I very much appreciate that. I think like the main thing that's dated about it other than the general aesthetic which is just soup souped up 90s to to an extreme degree um uh, which is definitely a big part of the appeal um uh it's just like it's got this really i i would i think the the general approach to class is probably one that you it would be harder to do now i think like I think just these days it would be difficult to have the star be so rich and so privileged and with a a dad who's like a kind of high-powered snake lawyer who's obviously a dickhead but is kind of also a loving funny caring father you know yeah yeah. and and I did find it endearing in the movie I didn't I wasn't like why aren't they wheeling the guillotines out in this film like it was fine but I just think that 
in you know today's world uh, woke of, Taliban of... cancels clueless I, just <laughs> I knew it was going to happen i i think in today's world it would be it would be harder to have such a warm portrayal of such an insanely yeah, yeah. um d- disgustingly privileged family so that was an odd element to it um but it's good this movie is is very good i'm gonna add it to the list i've got to, I've got to get around you to should, watching it you should watch it it's very cheerful you know why am i gonna find you, the time to watch it. this uh, that'd be ridiculous i've got a little got a lot on my plate <laughs> at the moment so okay like right now for example the hadians need to come to america but some people are all what about the strain on our resources but it's like when i had this garden party for my father's birthday right I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Thank you very much. Um, before we leave, i got to get your... Oh, we haven't spoken in a while. What do you make of the fact that Pablo Lorraine is making a Princess Diner biopic starring Kristen Stewart, but writ- written by Stephen Knight? There's so much going on in the story where like every single word is worse than the previous one or better than the previous one, depending on uh, where you stand or where people involved. I didn't know about this until you just told me. Oh, okay. So this is all news. Yeah. Lorraine, he's back. He, having made Jackie, he's like, who's another iconic woman of the 20th century? Lady Di. Fashion icon. I don't know. My first reaction is that it sounds terrible. I think mainly, mainly because of Stephen Knight. Yeah. He's someone who's like churns out loads and loads of scripts. A lot of them become films which are very badly received. Like he made Burnt. Remember that Bradley Cooper movie where he's a chef? Remember that film? Or that uh, movie Hummingbird he directed, where like Jason Sabre's like a homeless man who like becomes a, an Avenger or something. Like it's <laughs> and uh, the Lock's pretty terrible. And I feel like Peaky, even Peaky Blinders is kind of popular, but no one thinks it's like great drama. It's like more like. It's become slowly more ironic, I feel like. It started off wanting to be like Borlock Empire, and then they realised their fan base was just basically teenage girls who like this sort of like ye old Matrix thing, like sorts of slow-mo and like pop songs and they wear nice coats and stuff. Um, yeah, apparently it's going to be called Spencer and it's about her before she meets Charles, like her young, the younger days of Lady Di. Spencer. Spencer. Spencer Confidential. That would be a good title. Yeah, that would be a great title with K-Stew. I mean, can't you do a British accent? I don't know. Maybe. We'll find out. I wouldn't say that I am naturally excited to for the story of Diana to be brought to the screen. She's just not a figure who I'm in, that interested in. Yeah. I would say. Me neither. But yeah. I mean, definitely someone... Like, one of my, like, legit earliest memories... Um, maybe I'm too old for this to be an early memory, but just, like... I guess, like, one of my earliest clear memories, you know, not one of the ones that I feel like is just me remembering people telling me that it happened um is uh princess diana dying and me just being annoyed that the i couldn't watch my cartoons because yeah. they had film coverage absolutely i recall this as well and i was i i, I distinctly remember i was like complaining to my to my dad about this stupid 
news story and so I wasn't watching TV and then he didn't sympathize with me he was just shocked at the news itself and I was like what what is this <laughs> generational divide here <laughs> um, yeah I was like okay boomer um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like... so I don't so I've never since that age I've never particularly related to Princess Diana or had a great deal of interest in her I would be more interested because like I like Pablo Lorraine a lot and I like the idea is like you know someone who isn't British making it is kind of interesting because it's so like I feel like next to Churchill she's the most mythologized Brit like she's just like this saint she's just this angel who who was on this earth and she she, she burned too bright and was also hounded to an early grave by the press but she burned too bright for this world and she saved everyone from landmines or something she's just this, this angel so you know to have like a less uh, you know, I don't want to see like the darkest hour take on it, but Stephen Knight strikes me as you know, just a bit crap. Like, I don't think he's good good at his job, you know. But Naruto is a great movie, and so is Jackie. So Pablo Lorraine has form in biopics. So maybe I'll have a crazy take. Maybe I'll start with just like uh, Chris is like looking at the camera, and be like, the press killed me on orders from Her Majesty. A really like didactic, out there stuff. The Queen killed me. The Queen killed me. Yeah, <laughs> and then just the pictures of the Queen flashing up. Yeah, like how the Irishman starts with like the alternate title of like I hear you paint houses. I'll be like her driving, and it'll be like the Queen killed me. Flash. I think gonna say. I think you're gonna say it was. It would be like the start of the Irishman uh, with uh, Al Al Pacino's character as the Queen, and like Robert De Niro is like I don't know a journalist or or something. <laughs> like that. She's. And she, uh, she's calling him up and saying, I heard you paint houses. <laughs> yeah. Mad. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And hope you're all safe and uh, and doing well. You know, and stick, stick with it. Stick with it. Stick with it. Wash your hands. Don't talk to people. Don't, 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 don't even them. talk to them. Don't even talk, don't to, talk them. to them. Don't use 5G. Stay away. Don't use 5G under any circumstances because it carries coronavirus. Um, and uh, But other than that, um, do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> do, do whatever you want, mate. Hey, my name is Andrew Goffield. My name is Lucas Hedges. My name is Alden Ehrenreich. My name is Adam Driver. I'm reading the part. For sharing clueless... Okay, 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 okay. Okay, so. So, okay, like, right now, for example, the Haitians need to come to America. But some people are all like, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday. Right, I said RSVP, because it's a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP, so I was, like, totally bugging. I was, like, totally bugging. Totally bugging. Totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen. Redistribute the food. Squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like the more the merrier. And so if the government would just get into the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Haitians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.